Our voice reveals who we are, who we think we are, perhaps, who we're trying to be, and even who we're trying not to be. <laughs> uh, it's a reflection of our personal history and experiences, where we grew up, our culture, and other factors. And in a moment, it can reflect our confidence level, our energy level, and our overall comfort in the given situation. Let's do this. Let's talk about talk. Greetings and welcome to Talk About Talk. I'm your communication coach, Dr. Andrea Wojnicki. Please call me Andrea. Welcome to Talk About Talk, episode number 89. Today, we're focusing on your voice. Our voice is critical to our communication, yet many of us don't spend a lot of time and energy focusing on our voice. Well, we should, and that's why we're here. Are you an ambitious executive with a growth mindset looking to advance your career? You're in the right place. At Talk About Talk, we focus on communication skills topics like personal branding, confidence, networking, and yes, your voice. This is the important stuff they don't teach you in school. If you check out the talkabouttalk.com website, you'll find online corporate training, one-on-one coaching with me, the archive of this bi-weekly podcast, and the free weekly communication skills newsletter. I really hope you'll go to the website and sign up for that free weekly communication skills coaching newsletter. But you can choose whatever works for you. Okay, I'm really excited to introduce my guest, Judith Weinman. I met Judy on LinkedIn recently, and I am so glad that we connected. Judy is a corporate speech, voice, and communications trainer at her Manhattan firm called Accent on Speech. In this interview, you'll learn how to leverage your voice in terms of your personal brand, you'll learn all about accents, and you'll learn a list of five things that you can do to optimize the sound of your voice, and more. So let's get into the interview. I'm going to briefly introduce Judy, and then you'll hear our conversation. At the end, I'm going to summarize the key learnings. So as always, you don't need to take notes, because I summarize everything for you at the end of the episode. And you can always access the printable episode show notes on the talkabouttalk.com website. So while you're listening, you can just keep doing whatever you're doing, driving or walking or housework or hanging out on the couch. You don't have to lift a finger to take notes because I do that for you. You're welcome. Okay. Judith Weinman is a communications trainer and speech language pathologist based in New York City, where she specializes in improving speech and communication skills, public speaking and meeting skills, accent modification, enhancing the voice, inter and intra office communication issues, as well as writing skills. Judy has over 25 years experience as a licensed speech and language therapist, working with individuals, groups, and corporations such as Bloomberg, IBM, and Citibank. She has a BA in linguistics, an MA in communicative disorders, and she's had theatrical training in terms of voice, singing, acting, and movement. And yes, Judy has a fantastic voice. Thank you so much, Judy, for joining us here today to talk about the sound of our voices. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I have to admit to you just right out of the gates that I am feeling so self-conscious about my voice speaking to you. So I don't particularly love 
or hate my voice. It's kind of, I, I guess I'm neutral about it. And I would say that I'm self-aware of my communication in general, just given what I do for a living, but talking to you, I'm suddenly. Oh, oh, that's something that really drives me crazy in a way when people say they feel self-conscious about their voice or the way they speak. Because first of all, most people struggle with their vocal image in some respect. I, I really cut people a lot of slack and I'm not judging. When I work with clients, we talk about how they feel about their voice and their speech and their comfort level with their own voice. And if there's a gap between how they sound and how they feel, we'll work on it because that really affects your well-being, your state of mind. If how you sound doesn't truly represent how you want to be presenting yourself to the world. There's an interesting analogy here, right? In terms of us being sort of queued up thinking about our appearance and how we look to others. And now we're thinking about how we sound to others. I think it's fantastic to have the self-awareness though. I wasn't trying to make you feel bad by saying that I, I felt I think it's interesting. Yeah. yeah, you know, um, it, it, it's true. And I think women, well, I'm, I know, women are judged more harshly based on how they look and how they sound. So I am especially empathetic and a proponent for to women who, to feel comfortable with their voice, to own their voice, to not be judging themselves left and right based on how they sound. But there's such a history of prejudice in women's voice and bias and allowing women even to speak on the radio. And it's mind boggling what women have dealt with with regards to voice and looks. Yes. So yeah, that, that's one of my passions is working with women to rid themselves of that self-criticism that, that we have about our, our voices. Amazing. I can't wait to get into that. But before we do get into that, I just want to take a step back. And you said there's how we are feeling, right? And then there's how we are perceived by others. And I'm thinking there's like a, there's a third circle here, if you want to make a Venn diagram, where it's how we want to be perceived by others, right? So it's how we are perceived, how we want to be perceived, and how we feel. And if we can kind of get all of those converging to an optimal, to an optimal state, then that's really what we're seeking here. And I guess my first question then is, can you start by sharing what we are implicitly communicating with our voice? So what are the, I guess, adjectives or the traits that we're saying about ourselves through our voice? Sure. Well, like we just were speaking about, our voice reveals who we are, who we think we are, perhaps, who we're trying to be, and even who we're trying not to be. <laughs> uh, it's a reflection of our personal history and experiences, where we grew up, our culture, and other factors. And in a moment, it can reflect our confidence level, our energy level, and our overall comfort in the given situation. Research shows, this is interesting, within 30 seconds of hearing a voice, we are judging a person's size, height, education level, gender, sexual orientation, attractiveness, intelligence, and trustworthiness within 30 wow. seconds. So the, and our voice goes, is, goes deep. You know, it's almost more, pri it's more primal than speech. We had voice before we had words. We pick up cues from a voice that we are not aware of. It's, it's not conscious, uh, but we are judging, engaging a person just on a few bars of a few lines. It's, it's truly amazing. We're high-tech computers when we hear and interpret and decipher a voice. 
Listen, Judy, my brain, my brain is exploding as you're just firing through all of this. I'm like, where do I begin? So I love your list where you said research shows that we're communicating all of these things, right? And it's it everything that you could communicate. I even read recently, may have been in a blog that you wrote actually, about how we are even implicitly interpreting other people's health based on their voice. You can, we can implicitly diagnose people as being healthy or unhealthy, which may explain why certain voices are more appealing in some way, right? They may sound more credible, more confident, and more healthy. So in terms of our voice, can you run us through a list of the different ways that our voices may vary? Well, to speak to what you were just talking about, I think if there's a harsh quality or a strained aspect of a voice, it implies a lack of perhaps Mm self-care and wellness, and we hear that. Um, So if there's a strain or uh, we've maybe been abusing our voice, we hear that, we pick it up. But what are we signaling with our voice? And you're right, absolutely. Each of those factors contribute to the overall impact we have with our voice. So tone, I'm going to start with tone. If we're pushing our voices uh, in in any place in our bodies, and our throats, we're going to diminish the impact we make. Speech and communication is all about creating spaces within ourselves, open spaces, and not closing ourselves off and connecting to our breath in such a way that our, our thoughts just play over our breath, our voice travels over our breath with our words flowing. Um, so if we're fighting our breath, if we're holding it, a person picks up on that. Right. They're not relaxed. They're not connected to their breath. So I have to say, you probably have found the same thing, that breath is this phenomenon, I suppose, that is so integral to so many things. Right. It's like I every time I turn around, there's another fantastic podcast or article or research study that says breathing isn't just bringing oxygen into your body. It's doing all of these things. And one thing that I that I did hear when when I'm doing my podcast, for example, if I'm recording a podcast, I will make especially the strong statements, the proclamations on the exhale. And I've heard that strong presenters, people that are giving speeches, keynote speeches, they will actually practice inhaling between the main ideas and exhaling the ideas, right? So using their breath to project, to physically project their voice. Yeah. But it's all speech is produced on the exhalation, Mm. right? So talking like that. (laughs) That's true. That's (laughs) true. But, but I think I understand what you're saying is in order to speak effectively, we have to take an adequate inflation. Ah, it creates space in our body. Ah, and, it, and if we're holding our breath, we can't think clearly, find our thoughts. We pause, we inhale on the pause, we find our thoughts, mm-hmm. uh, and then we deliver them on the exhalation. Yeah. And if we're holding our breath, we're going to make ourselves tenser, by the way. There's a natural relaxation reflex on the exhalation. So if we're accustomed to speaking with a nice inhalation and a long exhalation, we're just calming ourselves down through our speech. We're helping ourselves remain calm and grounded and present. Amazing. But I want to make sure I answered your question. People expect, they think that they're supposed to rattle off a string of sentences and there can't be a pause. And it's not natural. 
we stop, we pause, we think, we find our thoughts, and then we deliver them with our words. That's human. Right. And people are afraid of pauses. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. It's almost like a cliche, right? That silence is golden or embrace the silence. And it, it exactly. really is a common thing. We race to fill the silence with our voice. Yep. And and so much of the communication takes place in the silence. So part is to sink in, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think I'm going to leave that in. That's funny. Okay. So I started with tone and breath. Um, I work with men sometimes who who don't open their mouths. So they have a lot of jaw tension or they hold their their sound back in the back of their throats. Okay. So if you don't move your mouth a lot when you speak, you're going to, you're going to sound mumbled because, and also you're probably going to talk fast because I can talk really fast if I don't move my mouth. Okay, so it won't be the voice you want to project in the front of a courtroom, right? Okay, you heard, you heard the evidence, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, you know, that expression, he's lying between through his teeth. Mm. Okay, he doesn't sound fully committed, like maybe what he, or maybe he doesn't fully believe what he's saying, or, he, or he's not confident about his message. Right. Because if you're confident, you'll commit, you move your mouth. You allow your words and sounds to flow out. You're not holding back in any way. If you're holding back, what are you hiding? Right? Our voice and speech, it gives us away. I never thought of that before. So I have heard that showing your hands implicitly shows your audience or the person you're communicating with that you have nothing to hide because you are literally showing them what's in your hand. I'm not holding a gun. I'm not holding a rock that I'm going to throw at you. I'm showing you my hands. I have nothing to hide. You can trust me. But actually... Using your mouth and opening your jaw, you're also communicating enthusiasm, if nothing else, right? Absolutely. And commitment to the words you're speaking and Uh belief in the words you're shaping and sharing. Right. You should taste the words you're (laughs) you're speaking. One of my teachers once said. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Absolutely. And that's just another form of protection and holding back. And one of the many habits that we create over time to protect ourselves. If you change the way you speak and sound, you will affect the way you feel about yourself. Change your voice, change your future. (laughs) That's what I truly believe. And we can get stuck in a certain identity even. I've worked with young women in business and they still sound like they're in their sororities. And when they're talking in business, it, it's not going to convey the credibility that they're looking for. And it can be so hard to let go of this identity mm. because it's what they've been using for maybe four years or so. <laughs> and it's related back again to just being self-aware. So do you sound like the person you used to be or do you sound like the person that you want to become? Right. And we're constantly changing and our voices change over a course of our lifetime. And once in a while, it's important to check in. Does my voice represent who I am now? Or am I still talking with a little girl voice? Or, Or am I still talking from my throat? And then when I speak to be heard, people call me harsh or abrasive. Well, it's because you got used to speaking with your throat. There's a theory that some women are afraid of feeling their power, uh, taking up the space within their bodies, their torso, especially, and reaching those lower fundamental frequencies, those frequencies and feeling their power because they don't want to come across maybe as dominant or too strong. Sometimes women aren't even aware of it. Right. I'll say women, uh, do you want to come across as strong and credible? 
Yeah, I do. It's important to me. I'm all for that. Well, then let's <laughs> let's 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 um, investigate this with your voice. Oh my gosh, Judith, my brain again is just going crazy. So I do a lot of work with my clients on personal branding, and I talk about explicitly and implicitly communicating your brand. But I've I've rarely spoken with someone on. So what is your voice communicating? Is it consistent? with your personal brand, right? And there's a massive opportunity there to talk to people about once we've articulated your personal brand, how can we signal those things through your voice? Right. Well, our personal brand can be more than one thing. It might be one of credibility and authority, Mm -hmm. but also is one of warmth and and relatedness and, and And wow, I can relate to this person. So, and, and depending on the context, if you're if for, as part of your brand, if you're presenting to a large group of people, you might want to cultivate a, um, a strong, authoritative sound and one that carries throughout the hall. If you're in a live space, right? Yeah. Uh, you, you need to feel your presence based on that space, and that's appropriate. And you need to be flexible even within your brand, because then when you're having a conversation with a friend or a client one on one, yeah, you're gonna, you might, you know, use more uh, a warmer tone. And but that's part of who you are too. You're yeah. you're not one dimensional. Right. You're a complete human being, and right. a brand has to be multi dimensional. It's not. You're reminding me of a girlfriend of mine who has. I admire her so much. She's very very strong. Personally and professionally, she's very admirable. And she's she's a great business person. She's a very successful executive. But if I go for a walk with her, you know, just around the block or we, we go for a power walk, I feel like saying to her, turn your volume down. Not everybody needs to hear. Oh, wow. <laughs> right? So yeah. it's like that part of her personal brand being this strong, successful executive It maybe needs to be filtered out a little bit through her voice when she's not in that executive context. This this is really interesting. People become comfortable with an identity that they've honed. And that's the, like we're talking about, that's the voice they've become comfortable with. It's the one that works. And it's absolutely fine to talk like this sometimes, like with your friends. You're cutting yourself off from the different aspects of your personality if you rely on that one character, that one persona, because you're much more than that. And sometimes I'll work with clients on something called voicing the shadow. (laughs) And it's about if you allow yourself, like women fear sounding small or or delicate, and sometimes we'll just play with characters, Uh. depending on what their goals are, of course. But you might speak 10 different ways (coughs) in a given day because a voice is flexible. It needs to be flexible to mm. express all the different parts of, of who you are. I'll work with these men who very, sound very professional, but then when they need to tell someone, okay, we're going to have to lay off a hundred people. They can't use this strong, this voice that they've become very comfortable with and honed for their career. Right. Right. You have to be flexible. You have to be open to the different voices that are within you, depending on the situation. So what are the levers that we have to change our voice? So obviously, well, not obviously, but you did mention breath and posture and in terms of cadence, just embracing the silence. What are some of the other things that we can turn up, 
turn down and play with, be it physically or even a mindset that will change the way our voice sounds? Sure. Some of my clients tend to speak in a bit of a monotone, especially people tend to push their voices down in order to try to sound deeper or more authoritative. They end up just sounding monotone. And that's another, that's an issue in itself because we have to train them to work within their range and understand what resonance means. It's very safe to kind of stay within a rigid range. Occasionally, I'll do exercises with a client, say, I'll have them read aloud a fairy tale. Once upon a time, and really exaggerate these aspects of voice, the ups and downs, the elongations, the loudness, the softness, to explore the dynamism that they are capable within their voice, but that they are not just not used to accessing on a daily basis. But when shown and reminded, oh, this is what you can do with your voice, how powerful this can be if you bring some of this into your meeting, mm. into your conversation, right? So it, it's difficult for people to access a voice they're not used to using. So I also have a background in singing and acting and improv. And character use is a great strategy for finding another voice that we might not use on our own. But once we explore that character and, ah, we've been that loud preacher man, and then I have you get up and deliver your speech with that voice. Now just tone it down a bit. Oh, you found that feeling and sound within yourself. You've got that. See there? <laughs> it's just reawakening it or eliciting it or bring it, right? Um, Amazing. I love that. So people are giving speeches. I, I, I have coached people to emulate, to borrow someone else's confidence. And I have this story about how I went out on stage at a university theater where I was teaching over a thousand students and, and they mic'd me up and I said, I felt like Madonna and I was a little bit nervous, but I had this, it occurred to me, maybe I can channel Madonna's confidence. And I walked out there and I felt like a rock star, right? But actually maybe mentally practicing that, like I can imagine Madonna greeting her audience. Hey everyone, right? I love it, Andrea. We allow ourselves to do different things when we become another character. That's why I, I also, I do accent modification. And uh, I find that with actors, they are so much more willing to do a different accent or sound a different way. They've given themselves permission to be different. It doesn't, it's not phony. They're being a character. So when you're a character, you allow yourself to feel a different way that you wouldn't if within the confines of your own ego and identity. Ah, we're allow yourself to play. Ah, because we don't play so much as adults. We play mm -hmm. as kids, right? And it's a great way to access these different sounds and voices that, that are within us. Sometimes I'll have a, a, a client belt out. I have a woman who tends to hold back and we'll start a session. We'll just belt out and read the Franklin song, yeah. right? So she's not pulling back and we're thinking forward, forward momentum, right? Because we've noticed a tendency. She kind of even pulls back in her body forward, sing yeah. it out. And then, yeah. <laughs> you're Aretha. Who are you? And then she's talking. Who are you? There's so many tricks and strategies we can use <laughs> to find parts of our voice. So one of the questions that I wanted to ask you is about the ideal voice, which, you know, based on what we've already been talking about, it really depends on the context. I'm still going to ask the question, but understanding there's going to be a lot of caveats here, right? So in a business context, so for example, if you're seated around a boardroom table 
and you want your voice heard, you want to be respected, you want people to respect your expertise, what would the ideal voice sound like? So the ideal voice within this context, because like you said, it's very context specific. Okay, so an ideal voice is not pushed or strained. An ideal voice is connected to the, uh, the breath. An ideal voice is aware of the space that it's in and what needs to happen in order for it to be heard and your presence to be felt in, within its confines, right? Every interaction is you're gauging. What do I need to do with my voice in order for it to be heard and to, in order for my message to be felt? But again, this ideal voice idea, it depends upon the context, if you're culturally. <laughs> so, um, you know, different cultures do voice differently. Japanese men kind of pitch their voices lower. So they would say that's more of an ideal voice in that context. Japanese women have the highest voices and it's expected, you know? Mm. So that's what, I, and all these, I, these issues related to voice and ideals, there's so many uh, factors that apply when working uh, internationally, because you need to consider this is a cultural fact. So, but an ideal voice in a meeting, you want to sound like you believe what you're saying. Mm. So you don't want to be rushed. You don't want to be holding your breath. But an ideal voice is a unique voice too. <laughs> Your anatomy is unique. Your, your vocal folds are unique, right? So if you try to sound like someone else, it's not going to work. You know, you have to pay attention to your rhythm, your breath, or else it's not going to come across as, as authentic and real and powerful. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I agree. So this reminds me of Margaret Thatcher about how she took voice lessons just before one of her elections, which she then won. And then apparently she went on record saying part of the reason that she won was because she changed her voice. And if you go on YouTube, you can watch these videos where they play her speaking before and after. And there is a significant difference yeah. in how she sounds. Yeah. There's quite a bit of political folklore attached to that Mar Margaret Thatcher story. And there's actually no proof that she worked with a vocal coach. Oh, she worked with Sachi and Sachi, which is a PR firm, and she right. had advisors. But it was, an, but it was a decision she made based on her own feelings about her voice and her advisors. I read that when beginning of her career, she she tended to she sounded a bit like a school mom, and she had a squeezed voice, and it sounded a bit pushed, and um, and a bit posh. And, um, and as Britain started to proletarianize, uh, her advisors wanted her to sound. She wanted her to be able to reach the ordinary people, not just the upper middle class. And so she needed a, a simple, more to the point, light voice. Mm -hmm. So if she said, you can't spend more than you earn, it would sound patronizing. You can't spend more than you earn. So she lowered it. She'd also been experiencing dry throat and coughing and sore throats from the way she was pushing her voice from her throat. <laughs> and she was losing her voice and unable to, to speak in certain contexts. So she did lower her voice. Again, it, again that does go along with uh, this issue that women have had throughout history with their voices and being judged. It's not just how we sound, it's how we look, it's how we present ourselves, it's what we talk about, it's the whole deal. Right, absolutely. Yeah, and one could argue, gee, she had to make herself sound like a man in order yeah. to be respected. I truly don't believe that's the case. I believe 
But if she had understood how to use a voice healthfully and as herself, it wouldn't be about trying to sound like a man. It would be creating a resonant sound with her natural voice. Because yeah. um, she was pitching her voice upward. And, you know, so it, it's tricky. There are a lot it's of complications to go into this Margaret Thatcher story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of like the cliche voice story, I think. But it reminds me also of a quote that I heard you say in a previous podcast of yours that I was listening to, where you talk about the home court advantage. And this was in the context of different people's accents. So when people go to new cultures, new countries, where people speak a certain way and their voice may sound different, it may make them self feel uh, self-conscious and they may want to kind of minimize the sound of their accent, if nothing else, to optimize the clarity of what they're trying to say. So do you have any guidance for people in terms of accents? Yes. Listen, English has become the global language for business. That in itself sets up an inequity issue. We talk about diversity inclusion. So both non-natives and natives need to be aware of the issues that arise when dealing with this. The number one concern is that a person is understood, that their speech is clear enough to be understood. But many of my clients who have accents are completely fluent and might have one or two words here or there that are a little hard to understand. But what they are often working on and striving for is to master the music, the intonation and the ability to express themselves with nuance more effectively. I'd say 90% of my clients say, I don't want to get rid of my accent. I just want to feel a more organic connection from my brain to my mouth and, and to feel really comfortable in my sound. Like I, I had a, an Indian client who was let go from a position. He was an accountant because he was quoted as on the phone as saying $70 million dollars when he had actually said 17, 17, 70 million dollars. Oh, wow. <laughs> right, 70 numbers, 17. And in addition, clients were asking to work with other accountants because they were having trouble understanding him. Now, I don't believe this should be an issue that should be addressed, uh, talked about on such eggshells. I believe he should have felt comfortable enough to ask for the support. And I believe that HR should have been supportive enough to say, we really value having you. And I don't think it should be this issue of, oh, it's such a taboo thing. It should be an open discussion. There should be no stigma. My God, they speak another language. That's more than most Americans speak. <laughs> uh, and when I work with American business people and they go over to Japan, I'll train them. This is what you do. This is what you don't. You're going to be perceived as rude if, if you do this, et cetera. And to go back to the playing field issue. So if this Indian speaker is working in an American firm and most of his firm is made up of Americans, support him. Yeah, it's not, it's not a stigma. I like that word. You brought in the word stigma. And it's almost like the onus is on us. If we are the native language speakers and we hear someone else whose accent sounds a little bit different, it's not a bad thing, right? It's a signal of their experience, which is what oh. you said at the very beginning. Well, 
interesting. There's different perceptions about accent. I, when I hear an accent, I, I've always loved accents. Yeah, me too. It sounds like, wow, they have a different viewpoint. And that's what we all want in business, in a meeting, you want various viewpoints. It also shows that they're industrious and educated and hardworking. Yeah. Now, there is a natural bias that occurs in human beings. Infants will go to a voice that they've heard in vitro. At five years of age, kids will befriend a kid who sounds like them over a kid who looks like them. In other words, how they sound is more important than how they look. So we have these natural biases that are instinctive. Yeah. But knowing this, having this awareness, we can do something with that. And also, it's been proven that uh, business people may perceive someone with an accent as being less savvy, less culturally savvy, right? But studies show that when an accented person speaks with confidence, that completely disappears. Right. So, but the challenge is with my clients is speaking with confidence because they'll oftentimes they'll fear not saying something correctly and end up not speaking up. Or, and it could be for at least two reasons, right? It could be because in their culture, the ideal is to not speak with such outstanding confidence. You need to be a little bit more meek. It also could just be that, as you said before, we are innately primed to seek similarity. Yeah. But, but you know, I know that some of your work focuses on diversity and inclusion. And so if we know that we have this innate focus to seek similarity, we should be challenging ourselves to enlighten ourselves. And part of diversity and inclusion can include people with other accents, right? Full stop. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I worked, yeah, I worked with this um, this Eastern European woman. She was from Poland, and she came to me because she felt like she was being kind of socially isolated within her office. It was mainly women. It was American women. She felt that she wasn't being like she wasn't being invited to lunch along with others, and jokes weren't kind of shared. She just felt a sense of non belonging, and then when she came in. I discovered that she had kind of a held back voice and her face did not move very much when she spoke. And, um, and it was a bit monotone. But what I discovered through talking with her was that she had a terrific sense of humor. She was funny. And what was puzzling is that this company prided itself on diversity and inclusion, yet they weren't aware of the bias that they had for this woman's voice. So I believe it's a two-way street. Those people should be <laughs> educated about bias and voice. And she wanted to adapt to her situation and circumstance. So we worked on, for example, bringing out her sense of humor so that it translated with this in her voice. It just wasn't translating. Again, speaking to the home field advantage, we all got to work at it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and she actually enjoyed the process of finding these different ways of expressing herself. And she found it quite um, enjoyable. It sounds empowering. Yeah. It is, exactly. Yeah. Just one person. Yes, this is my Polish self. This is my American self. This is my, like when I, you right? Right. And you can, you access different parts of your identity. It can be really illuminating and, and, uh, and fascinating. Yeah, I, I can imagine working with you would be exactly that. Very empowering and inspiring. And every time you're talking about one of your clients or or perhaps a stereotype of someone, you are taking on that persona. You, I'm watching you on the screen and I'm hearing your words and your tone and you are 
an incredible actress, Judy. You really oh. are. <laughs> well, thanks. Oh, gosh. Thanks. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Oh. It reminds me, I, I read a book called How You Say It by Katherine Kinsler. She's a linguist, I believe, and she goes through a ton of research. It's a very dense book. I loved it. But she talks about how a lot of what we think we're perceiving with people consciously and non-consciously is focused on appearance you know, and then maybe where someone, where someone is from, but we don't really think about how are we gauging that? And she said, the research shows that your voice and specifically your accent, people make judgments about you immediately and strong judgments, be they positive or negative about you based on your accent. Right. Um, especially accents of people who have been marginalized in the past. Right. Right. And we also have bias against, we have familiarity bias. Familiarity breeds contempt. There's quite a bit of truth to that. Even you know, with accents and with women, I had a woman come in and, and she told me that a banker at her firm told her, we don't need sorority sisters working at the firm. <laughs> and it, it was, it's the opposite of, of a supportive role model, right? <laughs> right. So it was, it was, that's what I don't want to be. I'm hearing in your voice <laughs> what I maybe have, part of is that is in me and that I don't want to be and I resent you for it and I'm going to take it out on you. Wow. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. We feel our insecurities and we hear and it's if it's reflected in another person. Ooh. But yeah, and it's not and it's not fair that certain accents are biased against more than others. Nothing in life is fair. Right. And every culture does it. German, high, uh, northern German from southern. Oh, uh, and in England, whew, they are the map daddies of, of um, right. with accent. Right. <laughs> right. It's true. Voice is like the smell for of, of animals for, for, for humans. Oh, I <laughs> love that. <laughs> I love that analogy. I love that analogy. So before we go on to the five rapid fire questions, Judy, I'd love to ask you how, regardless of what our voice is, what our accent is, how can we look after our voice? So I'm thinking about, so if I'm about to turn my mic on for recording a podcast, or if I'm about to give a speech, or I'm about to give a presentation in a big meeting, what should I do in the short term? But then also what habits can I adopt to optimize the sound of my voice throughout my life? One thing we talked about breath, even when you're not speaking, be mindful of your breath. You go into a meeting, pay attention. If you're holding your breath, breathe. Mm. Because when you go to speak, if you sound like you've been holding your breath, you're going to sound rushed. And I also noticed just as I was asking that question, you took a sip of water. Is it true that taking a sip of water will make your voice sound better? Well, the vocal folds need to stay hydrated. Absolutely. It's important to drink water. And for vocal hygiene, we don't push our voice uh, I worked with a, a coxswain once who she was used to pushing her voice. So that's vocal abuse. And you do that enough, you're going to damage your voice. No um, vocal fry, I'm guessing. Well, vocal fry isn't necessarily abusive to the vocal folds. Oh. Yeah. It just doesn't sound good. It sounds like you're disengaged from your breath. And it's also frequently just associated with an adolescent sound. So right. nothing to for your credibility. Before you get on a meeting, I work with clients who may be sitting at their computer for hours on end and then have a call or a meeting. 
and find themselves needing to kind of find their voice in the first five or 10 minutes of the meeting. What they should do is do some work ahead of time. Before you get on the call, jump around the room, oh, sing around, leap around, do some trills, get your voice warmed up so that when you get on that call, you're running on all four cylinders and you don't have to spend the first five minutes warming up. Right. So you've got, it's almost like you've got momentum. Yes. Right. You know, with, with Amy Cuddy, you know, with the power poses, well, add that tenfold by you have the power poses, you're connecting vibration to your body, you're letting your sound out. Oh, I'm the queen. You dance around. And oh, my gosh, what you've just done with your voice and preparing yeah. you for this meeting is it's better than taking a pill. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. I love that. So so and what about making our voice last for our lifetime. Is there anything that people do? You know, I'm thinking also of, of singers or people that do a lot of public speaking. So how do they look after their voice in the longer term? There are days when I speak all day long <laughs> and uh, I, my voice never gets tired or rough really because I'm, I know how to use it. If you are using your voice uh, in a helpful way, it will last you a lifetime if you're not pushing or straining. Okay. And oftentimes people don't know they're clamping down on their their, the muscles around their vocal folds and creating strain or a lot of throat clearing. That over time can affect voice. Okay. Uh, And interestingly, men's voices tend to get higher as they get older and women's tend to deepen. I've heard that. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, but that's aside from quality, the clearness and the lack of noise in your breath should be fine as you age. I can speak all day with this gentle bringing together of my vocal folds because I'm using my breath efficiently and effectively. No problema. I'm speaking mm. nonstop. <laughs> I feel like it's all about the breath. If there's one thing, it's uh, really- and tension and tension and space, making ourselves big, not small, making ourselves relaxed, not tense and connected to our breath. Amazing. That is going to definitely end up in the show notes. Okay. Let's move on then to the five rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Ready. Question one, what are your pet peeves? Oh, okay. Well, I live in Manhattan in New York City. And one of my pet peeves is when people walk on the left side of the sidewalk. It drives me crazy. I like order. (laughs) Uh, Another pet peeve, and I hope you don't think this sounds snobby, but because I'm really not a snob. This issue with pronouns with it's for Sheila and I, instead of it's Sheila and me, that drives me bonkers. And Robert and myself are planning a party. Oh, (laughs) Robert and I are planning a party. I get it. I get it. I share that one with you, Judy. I actually tell my kids, take the other person out of the sentence. Imagine it's just you. And how would you say it? Now add the person back in. You're good. And another one, uh, not to get gross, but I think is my pet peeve is when women pee on the seat. 
<laughs> you know, it's mind-boggling. I go to the Met. I go to the uh, to a museum, and I say, it just drives me crazy. I don't get it. Okay. And you might want to edit that one out, Andrea. It's <laughs> when you said that, Keith, it really was one of the first things that came to my mind. I got to be then. It's staying. That's hilarious. Okay. okay. Second question. What type of learner are you? A kinesthetic. <laughs> really? I thought you would say auditory. Well, I can hear something, but if it's taught to me in a voice I don't connect to or I don't find engaging, I'll tune out. But when I have to do something and I go through the motions and I notice all the issues that arise when I'm doing this that I wouldn't know about if I just heard about or watched, I, ah, okay, I feel it. I'm aware of these very subtle movements or uh, thoughts. And you are a natural actress. As you're answering the question, your body is, is communicating the answer. It's amazing. Okay. I told you, Kim. <laughs> yeah, I'm convinced. Okay, question number three. Introvert or extrovert? I, I believe I have both of those in my personality, like most people, but I do believe I have a bit more of the extreme versions of those. In school, I, I think I went through my kindergarten year not saying a word. So, I, oh. I, I, yeah, I'm naturally a very quiet person and a listener and an observer, but I also have a very strong part of my personality that is entertaining. I like to, and I like, oh, I like to be present and, and kind of, so I finding the balance between those is the challenge for me in everyday life. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Okay. What is your communication preference for personal conversations? Yeah. I text, but I don't like texting. I don't like <laughs> typing with my finger, my thumbs. I record my message on text. I look at it for editing and I send it because, oh. yeah, because it's just the quickest, most efficient. Yeah. I do that when I'm in the car and I say, uh, please blame Siri for typos. <laughs> Yeah, right. Who has time? <laughs> okay, last question. Is there a podcast, a blog, or an email newsletter that you find yourself recommending lately? Well, yours. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> it goes without saying. No, and I, and I, I really mean me, that, Andrea. I think it's a terrific podcast. And I look at your summary notes that are just so well done and thorough and painstakingly clear. It's just really, really well done. And I learn a lot from that. Um, another one is uh, I love John McWhorter's podcast, Lexicon Valley. Oh. Which, well, he also does, has a column in The Times. John McWhorter talks about linguistics and how language changes over time and cultural differences. And he's also a lover of music and he incorporates musical interludes and personal anecdotes in his mm. podcast as they relate to the topic. And it's just terrific. I love Amazing. it. Amazing. Yeah, and there's another woman who I really love, who I discovered through LinkedIn, and her name is Ludmila Praslova. She's an organizational psychologist, but she talks about these very complex issues in such an accessible way, all from a voice of kindness. Just love her. She reminds me of my mother. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. Okay. Okay. I will leave links to that podcast and that organizational psychologist in the show notes. Before we finish here, I just want to ask, is there anything else you want to share with the listeners about how we use our voice? Well, I would say our voices are so much more flexible and malleable 
than most people think or understand, and that the voice is a vehicle for exploring who you are and learning more about who you are and the various ways that you can express yourself. Thank you so much, Judy. Your message is empowering and inspiring, and I really, really learned a lot. Thank you so much. Thank you. What a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm definitely feeling more conscious about my voice now that I've had this conversation with Judy. But you know what? That's a very good thing. We should all be more conscious of our voice. There's so much opportunity to enhance our communication effectiveness through our voice. Thank you so much to Judy. She left me feeling inspired. Do you feel the same? And yes, her voice is lovely, isn't it? You can find Judy's coordinates, her website, how you can connect with her on social media, and so on, in the show notes on the talkabouttalk.com website. Okay, as promised, I'm now going to summarize some of the key learnings. I'm going to summarize a few things we learned about accents, and then I'm going to share a list of five things that you can do right now to help you leverage your voice. But first, I want to emphasize a few thoughts regarding our voice and our personal brands. Surprise, surprise. I don't know if you've ever consciously considered this, but your voice reveals who you are. Your voice is a key part of your personal brand. Judy said, and I quote, our voice reveals who we are, who we think we are, perhaps who we're trying to be, and even who we're trying not to be. It's a reflection of our personal history and experiences, where we grew up, our culture, and other factors. And in a moment, your voice can reflect your confidence, your energy, not to mention your size, your height, your education level, your gender, your sexual orientation, your attractiveness, your intelligence, your trustworthiness, and yes, your physical health. I'm thinking it might be easier to identify what our voice does not reveal. But given all this, I want to underscore the significance of our voice in terms of implicitly communicating our personal brand. If you're a leader, or if you want to become a leader, ask yourself, does my voice sound like a leader? Is my voice authoritative? And just like your personal brand will evolve over time, so will your voice. That sorority sister voice was certainly a legitimate part of your identity when you were in college. But now that you're establishing your career and you're gunning for that promotion, maybe not so much. What other elements of your personal brand can you communicate with your voice? Well, it could be your confidence, your empathy, or your global or international perspective. And speaking of a global perspective... Let's talk about accents for a minute here. It's not at all surprising that research indicates we pick up on accents readily and we make judgments about people based on their accents. But Judy highlights that as long as you are clear and understood, and as long as you communicate with confidence, your accent may be less of an issue than you thought. Your number one concern, if you have an accent, and frankly, we all have accents, don't we? But your number one concern should be that you are understood. After that, you can play with various vocal elements to communicate your message. 
And we really should respect each other's accents. We certainly should not stigmatize accents. In fact, we should honor them. Accents can communicate positive things like industriousness, global experience, and diversity of thought. And these are all good things. English may be the universal language of business. That means that English speakers often have the home court advantage. That's great, but listen up. That also means that the onus is on native English speakers to be inclusive. Now, here's a list of five things that you can do starting right now to optimize the sound of your voice. Are you ready? Number one, warm up your voice. If it's first thing in the morning, or if you've been sitting quietly in front of your computer for a few hours, get up out of your chair, jump around, be expansive, sing, trill, breathe. Warm up your voice just like you would any muscle. Now you're ready to use your voice. The second thing you can do to optimize the sound of your voice, use your range. Most of us don't leverage the range of our voice. You can consider your range in any one conversation, but also across various contexts. One voice for giving a speech, another for giving someone some private feedback, and another one when you're at the dinner table or at a restaurant. So for example, you can vary your tone, your pace, your volume, and you can explore the dynamism that you're capable of within your voice. One way to explore this dynamism is to think about how you'd read a children's book. Judy suggests that you consider how you read a children's book with suspense and nuance, and then use that range in your voice. She also reminds us that our identities are not one-dimensional. We have range, we have many roles, and similarly, our voices should not be one-dimensional. Speaking of roles... The third suggestion for how to optimize our voice? Get into character. Channel Aretha Franklin or whomever you need to get yourself into character. If you're working on a different tone or a different attitude, or perhaps you're projecting your voice, or perhaps you want to channel your confidence, channel someone else who personifies that and get into character. The fourth way to optimize the sound of your voice is to move your mouth. You know that saying, lying between his teeth? Well, apparently we find people more credible when they move their lips and their jaw. If you're confident, you'll commit and move your mouth. I never thought of this before, but it's true, isn't it? So now we've covered four of the five ways to optimize our voice. We need to warm up our voice. We need to use a range. We can get into character and we need to move our mouth. Can you guess what number five is? It's breathe. Of course, breathing is key. It's always key, isn't it? This is an aside, but other than sleeping, I can't think of any other phenomenon that I've heard of recently that seems to be getting so much traction across so many contexts. If we can master breathing and sleeping, we can conquer just about anything. And we're born knowing how to do these things yet we seem to forget. Hmm. So breathe. When we use our voice, when we speak, it's on the exhale. Pause to inhale. Pausing is a good thing. Don't race to fill the silence. Slow down and calm down. 
breathe. Don't push or strain your voice and don't hold your breath. Relax and let the words flow with your breath. Yes, our voice will change as we mature, but our voice can last a lifetime if we don't push it or strain it. Just breathe. Got it? So that's the five things that you can do starting right now to optimize the sound of your voice. One, warm up your voice. Two, use your range. Three, get into character. Four, move your mouth. And five, breathe. Well, that's it for this episode on using your voice. Again, you can find the show notes on the talkabouttalk.com website. Just click on the podcast tab and you'll find it there. And while you're there, I really hope you'll sign up for the Talk About Talk newsletter. This is your chance to get free communication skills coaching from me every week in a simple to digest email. Just go to talkabouttalk.com to sign up or email me directly and I'll add you to the list. You can email me anytime at andrea at talkabouttalk.com. Thanks for listening and talk soon.